So um, we are going to continue our, um, this is actually going to be the last installment for our, um, our series on stewardship. And so this is the last one that we're going to be doing. So I pray that, that God um, allows you to hear what he has to say to us and really apply it um, to your lives. If you missed the first two sermons, it is on Spotify, so you can pick it up. But this is going to be the last installment of our series on stewardship. So the scripture has been read for your hearing in the gospel according to Luke, the 16th chapter, um, verses 1 through 13. And so um, I am not going to read those um, portions of scripture again for you. If you missed that reading, um, we are going to um, uh, exegete the text so you'll be able to have an understanding of what the um, what that particular um, verse of scripture was talking about. But I do um, encourage you to read it on your own time. And so we ask that God continue the blessing to the reading of his holy word. Around the turn of the 20th century, Alfred Adler proposed the counter initiative, uh, initiative theory of compensation. Adler believed that perceived disadvantages often prove to be well disguised advantages because they force us to develop attitudes and abilities that will have otherwise gone undiscovered. So, just for the record, I know I did not read my. Um, my uh the scripture but the subject for today is theory of compensation all right theory of compensation it's only as we compensate for those disadvantages that we discover our greatest gift for instance 70 percent of the art students adler studied had optical anomalies he often, um, he observed that some of history's greatest composers, Mozart and Beethoven, among them had degenerative, degenerative disease traces in their ears. And he cited a multiplicity of other examples from a wide variety of vocations of those who leveraged their weaknesses by discovering their strengths. Adler concluded that perceived disadvantages such as birth defects, physical illness, and poverty, poverty can be springboards to success. And that success is not achieved in spite of those perceived disadvantages. It's achieved because of them. Amen. In the Bible, King David had an army of warriors who were called mighty. Before David became king, he was on the run from King Saul who wanted to kill him. David's men were loyal to him. As David went through, uh, as David went without, so did they. King Saul slept in the palace while David's band of brothers camped out in a cave. Saul's army was well-equipped. David's mighty men were not. And while Saul's army had provided, um, had food provided for them, David's men had to hunt and kill for everything they ate. 
Those disadvantages, though, developed skills in David's mighty men when they didn't know that they even had them. Do y'all remember the story about Benaiah? He, he was the one that chased the lion on a snowy day, in a cave on a snowy day. He was one of his warriors. They had to work harder. They grew stronger and they got smarter. Mark Batterson says, you have gifts and abilities that you aren't even aware of, but they are often buried beneath perceived weaknesses. Somebody ought to say amen. When it comes to stewardship, we have responsibilities to manage well, but our responsibilities is much broader than our family and our home. As stated last week, our, our responsibility extends to the household of faith, the church, and creation itself. But many of us see finances or the lack of as a reason why we don't practice good stewardship. Every Sunday, we share from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, and it says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So if you don't, if you don't give, you, you're only going to get a little back. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. For those of you who give a lot, that's why you have so much. So let each one give as it purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or not of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. But verse eight, if you look at verse eight, it tells us that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you having always having sufficiency in all things may have abundance for every good work. In other words, if, you're, if you practice good stewardship, God can pour on blessings that will blow your mind so that you are ready for anything and everything that comes your way. Isn't that good to know? How many times have you given, but you felt like it wasn't enough, but you gave from your heart? And God turned that thing around and blessed you in an area that was basically on life support. Many of us see the lack of finances as weakness. And the reason why we cannot practice good stewardship, I'm going to say that again. Many of us see the lack of finances as weakness. And the reason why we cannot practice good stewardship. Listen, church, I'm not upset about growing up poor. No, I'm not. I, I, I'm actually, I'm actually proud of it. Now, at the time, did I feel not feel good about it? But no. But I'm gonna tell you the truth. When we were growing up, I didn't even know we weren't poor. Everybody else around us was in the same situation. So I didn't even know we were poor. Not until I got older. But because we grew up poor. In doing so, it made me work harder. I took advantage of my opportunities. I used what I had wisely because I wasn't sure when I would get it again. And, and I gave as the, as the Lord instructed. Stewardship is about managing what you have. God instructs us to help the homeless, the widow, the, orph the orphans, those who are in prisons. So you don't have much money for them. Okay, that's fine. Just be creative.
daughter to someone who's homeless. Call a widow. I know that we're in um we're doing a we're in a pandemic, so you can't go visit the elderly, but can you call them? Can you call them on the phone and talk to them? Share your resources with an orphan. Send an encouraging card to someone in prison. Today, our text teaches us about the do's and don'ts and the creativity in stewardship. Let's take a look at our text. Jesus is telling the parable of the unjust steward to his disciples. Now, some Pharisees are around and they're eavesdropping, or some would say ear hustling. What was interesting about this parable is that in most of Jesus' parables, the protagonist is either representative of God, Christ, or some other positive character. In this parable, the characters are all wicked. The steward and the man whose possession he manages, they both are shady. But here the parable begins with a rich man calling his steward into, in to inform him that he's being fired for mismanaging the master's resources. Remember church that a steward is a person who manages the resources of another. The steward was even allowed to um, transact business in his master's name. You know, that master had a lot of trust in his steward. The steward is being released for mismanagement, not fraud. Because obviously the, 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 the manager, the, the rich man, he didn't know what the steward was doing behind his back. But we'll get to that in a minute. So the steward, realizing that he would soon be out of a job, make some shrewd, um, shrewd deals behind the master's back by reducing the debt owed by several of the master's debtors in exchange for shelter after he gets the boot. When the master becomes aware of what the wicked servant had done, because he probably was doing this anyway, he actually, instead of getting mad, he actually praises the crooked manager. Why? Because like 45, he looked out for himself. The unjust steward maneuvered to put others' debts to himself by cheating his master, who probably was cheating his customers as well. He made friends of his master's debtors who would then be obligated to care for, for him once he lost his job. But Jesus says, look, and this is in the message version, Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. Jesus said, I want you to be smart in the same way. Uh, but for what, I want you to be smart for what is right. Using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, I mean really live, and not complacency just by on good behavior. We don't, we don't have to make excuses about not practicing good stewardship in different areas in our lives that we are given by God to manage, but we make excuses. We make excuses like, I don't have enough money. I'm too young. I'm too old. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough experience. I'm too busy. Everybody busy. 
And y'all, y'all know one of my favorites is I just don't have that type of personality. I, 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 I you know, that's just not in my personality. I read when it comes to difficult um, circumstances, you have two choices. I'm sorry, this thing keeps going off. You have two choices. You can complain about them or you can make the most of them. Whether those circumstances are self-inflicted or the result of someone else's actions, a good steward makes the most out of them and find creative ways to serve and, and, and please God. Find creative ways to serve and please God. Stop looking at your circumstances as a weakness. What can you do with what you have? Can I say that again? Can I ask that question again? What can you do with what you have? You are not a good public speaker. Okay, fine. But can you write? You don't move around as fast as you used to. But what can you do um, to the pace that is not a requirement for you to move around fast? Yes, we are in a pandemic and you are not comfortable about, about being around people too long or too close. But what can you do? Listen, I know like all of you, I have disadvantages as well. I have weaknesses as well. My pronunciation of words is my weakness. Yes, I will admit it. It is what it is. But guess what? I also procrastinate. I'm short and I'm on a fixed income. But guess what? There are some things that I can do. I have a gift for administration. I know how to make some make somebody feel better about the situations. I actually, I'm not that funny, but I can make somebody laugh. I may not speak well, but I know how to listen to someone who's in pain and I know how to get a prayer through. I may not be able to, to, to preach like Paul or preach like um, Keon Henderson, but guess what? I do know how to give a word to somebody who needs one. And guess what? I serve where I can and I, I, I help where I can. I may not be able to see you, but I can text you. I can't remember certain things, but I can write them down. And if you tell me your birthday, guess what? I won't forget. That's why I thank God for using other people who, can, who were considered to have disadvantages. My Lord, somebody. If you, if, if you can use, I, you know, I feel like if God can use them, then certainly God can use me. Did y'all know that Noah had a drinking problem? That Abraham was, uh, Abraham was old? That Isaac was a dreamer? That Jacob was a liar? That Leah, she wasn't pleasant to the eyes. Moses, he stuttered. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. Naomi was a widow. Job, he went bankrupt. John the Baptist, guess what, guys? He ate bugs. Zacharias, he was too small. The Samaritan woman was divorced several times. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus was dead. If Jesus can use a dead man, surely he can use you. And thank God for the carpenter's son who was born in a stable, but he became my savior. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was the bright 
and morning star. He was born to a teenage mother, but he became my mediator. Some say that he was poor, but he was my prince of peace. Some, sometimes he had nowhere to lay his head, but he was still the light of the world. He was crucified, but he became my comfort. He was bruised, but he became my healer. He died on an old rugged cross and stayed buried there for three days, but he still is and shall always be the bread of life. He was rejected, but resurrected with all power in his hand. Your disadvantages can become your great assets when you put them in God's hands. Your perceived disadvantages can be your well-disguised advantages that develop attitudes and abilities that puts your trust in Jesus, thereby becoming good stewards of whatever God has given you to manage. Your mind, your body, and your soul, your family, your home, your job, your finances, school, church responsibilities, and your outside assignments. Use church, use your adversities to stimulate creative survival. If you don't know how, then ask the Holy Spirit to help you. There's no excuse for not being a good steward. When you have someone to lead and guide you in every area that God has given you to manage, you don't ask sometimes because you think you should know. No, that is not true. There are some things we just don't have a clue about, but the Holy Spirit can can give you the answer. Sometimes you think it's trivial and not worth the Holy Spirit's time, but you are worth his time. He wants to know everything that concerns you and wants to be there to help you. The only way you get better is by asking him to help you get better. Theory of compensation. When I am weak, he is strong. God bless you. God bless you. I pray that the word of God has helped you in some way and that God has um, touched you and um, allowed you to see that stop letting what you consider to be a disadvantage um, calls you from missing an opportunity to be a blessing. Um, we all have disadvantages. We all have weaknesses, but guess what? That shouldn't stop you from managing your assignments and managing them well. God gives you the ability to do it, but we have to ask. We have to check with him. And, and sometimes, you know, I even hate to use that word, but sometimes we just get lazy. <laughs> we do. We don't want to think for ourselves. We don't want to try to figure it out. We just lazy and in, in, in our thoughts about how to do a situation. Sometimes you just got to sit back as, and pray and say, Lord, how can I be of help? How can I do this? And God will give you the creative juices to be able to do it. And guess what? Sometimes it doesn't cost you a dime. Okay, so it costs you $2.50 to go buy somebody a bottle of water. Sometimes it costs you a, your time to pick up a cell phone and say, hello, how you doing? God gives it to you, but you've got to 
be willing to sacrifice and please him for his glory. So I pray that the message has challenged you. Um, the message um, has made you think a little bit about where you are in terms of your stewardship. Stewardship is not always about finances. It's about managing what God has given you. And how are you going about doing that? So um, we want to ask if, if there's someone here that heard the message on today, uh, we're going to prepare to take our communion together. But if there's somebody that heard the message today and um, you, are, you are seeking God out and seeking for a change in your life, you don't want to be shady anymore. <laughs> You, you want to be honest with God. You know, you know, you 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 want to stop, you know, uh, doing stuff under the table. Um, you you want to you want to come clean. You want to try to live honestly and live a better life. Guess what? Jesus is the way. I'm telling you, it's the best decision that you'll ever make. 